I'd had my eye on Dodge Ridge for quite some time. It's one of those areas that I saw potential in, and it also was an area that I knew probably wouldn't draw a ton of interest from the bigger ski companies. Uh, they were interested in somebody taking it on that would preserve the culture that they had established. Uh, that definitely fit into the mold that we were looking for. It was a really nice fit for all, all concerns. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester, getting after some California skiing today. Before we get to that, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Please visit stormskiing.com and subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter. There is a free tier, but if you upgraded to paid, you are listening to this podcast three full days before everyone else. So thank you very much for that. The podcast is fun, but the email newsletter is really the heart of this whole operation, where I am breaking down the world of lift serve skiing all year long. And paid subscribers also get a lot more content there. Last week, the storm was the first outlet to break down the Mountain Collective's edition of Le Massif. And later this month, Indie Pass is making a monster announcement with a whole pile of new partners and I will have a full breakdown the second those are live. So get in on that. You can also follow the storm on Twitter and Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. Okay, let's talk about Mountain Gazette. Have you subscribed yet? If not, why not? I'm telling you, having this thing on your coffee table is going to change your whole day. Mountain Gazette 197 is now shipping to subscribers, featuring an iconic cover shot by Academy Award winner Jimmy Chin, Mountain Gazette 197 is the biggest issue of the magazine ever at 140 pages. Inside, you will find John Fahey's true crime Aspen Outlaw story that is decades in the making, Ari Schneider's carefully reported piece on the fraught world of outdoor social media influencers, former bike editor Joe Parkins' love letter to two wheels, backcountry clashes in Teton National Park, stunning art and photography, and there's even a tear-out poster. The biggest issue of the biggest outdoor magazine ever. Go to mountaingazette.com to lock in your subscription today. Mountain Gazette, when in doubt, go higher. Episode 89, Carl Kapuscinski, President and CEO of Mountain High and Dodge Ridge, California. There was a time in my life when I strongly considered moving to California. And part of the reason was the skiing. It is a hell of a ski state, and not just in the places that you always think of, meaning Tahoe and Mammoth. The mountains surrounding Los Angeles, which soar up to 11,500 feet, are home to a raucous ski scene. Baldy, Big Bear, Snow Valley, Waterman, and Mountain High. Mountain High is an interesting place. Three ski areas that used to be separate businesses now combine into one resort that puts skiing where you least expect it to be. And it's been run for the past two and a half decades by Carl Kapuscinski. Last year, Carl added a second California resort to his portfolio, buying Dodge Ridge up in the Sierras from Frank and Sally Helm, who had owned and operated the mountain for 45 years. He already has an updated lift going in, 
And there is a whole lot more planned for Dodge Ridge's future. For skiers at either resort, there is a whole lot of exciting stuff coming your way. And I was so stoked when Carl agreed to come on the pod and discuss it all with me. Let's do it. My guest today is the president and CEO of Mountain High and Dodge Ridge, California. Established in 1924, Mountain High is the fourth oldest continuously operating ski area in the United States. Mountain High features three distinct ski areas served by 14 lifts across 290 acres on a 1,600-foot vertical drop. Dodge Ridge has 67 trails served by 12 lifts spread across 862 acres on a 1,600-foot vertical drop and averages between 300 and 500 inches of snowfall annually. He has held the top job at Mountain High for 26 years and led the purchase of Dodge Ridge last year. He is a past president of the California Ski Area Association and a past board member of the National Ski Area Association. Carl Kapaschinski is my guest. Carl, welcome to the storm. Thank you so much for your time. How are you doing today? Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'm doing great. Again, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to speak with you today. So we're here in June. I'm always excited when someone else wants to talk skiing in the off season. But how did the 2021 to 22 ski season go for you at Mountain High and Dodge Ridge? You know, it went well. It was a very interesting season. Uh, a little later start than uh, a year ago, uh, the COVID season, as we call it. Uh, and uh, so yeah, we really got going at both places, you know, mid-December, where last year it was, uh, was uh, mid-November, but uh, it came on gangbusters. We've got almost 10 feet of snow at uh, Dodge Ridge over about, oh, a week and a half a period of time right around the Christmas holidays. And actually, you know, same with Mountain High, not quite as much. We got about three feet at Mountain High. And that's the snow we lived on all the way until the end of the season. Literally, as you know, uh, April, excuse me, uh, January, February, March into early April were very dry. And then, you know, the areas that were still open, they got some snow in, in April, but we've got very low precipitation during those times. So it really shows how timing is everything. Uh, uh, if you just looked at the numbers, you would say, oh, maybe that wasn't such a great year. Uh, but when it came and how it lasted, uh, uh, made for a very strong season. Uh, at Dodge, actually, it was a record year uh, since 2010-11 uh, season. So uh, as far as skier visits uh, and the best uh, financially ever at Mountain High, we were uh, we were in the top. Uh, you know, top, uh, you know, say uh, 20%, so to say, of uh, the last uh, 20 plus seasons. So uh, uh, it, was, it was a solid season and uh, uh, we're, we'll take it. Wow, really impressive that Dodge Ridge posted its best financial season ever because that was your first season running the ski area. How pleased are you after one year at Dodge Ridge? Oh, very much so. It's a, it's a great area uh, with tons of, uh, you know, ongoing growth potential both summer and winter. Uh, and again, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's positioned in a great uh, location. It's similar to Mountain High where it's, you know, an easy drive. Uh, we did definitely benefit uh, from some of the, uh, the road issues that are going into the Tahoe resorts over the holiday periods. Uh, and obviously we, we, you know, imposed a pretty aggressive, um, you know, marketing campaign and uh, really got out there and trying to introduce even more people to Dodge Ridge. So Dodge Ridge is a very generational type area that a lot of people have been here since it opened, uh, I, I have many people come to me and say they've been skiing since 1950, which is the first year. So, but again, uh, extremely happy with the, with the uh, acquisition and uh, the future of it. 
Awesome. I, I want to get into Dodge Ridge later in your acquisition and some more details about that scary and its future. First, though, let's just backtrack here. You've been at Mountain High. As I mentioned, you've been running the ski area for 26 years, but I believe you've been there even longer. When did you come to Mountain High and why? Well, maybe I can uh, back up a little bit, to, uh, speak of backtracking and give a little history uh, uh, how, I, how I wound up there and, uh, and how it's all, all coming about. I'm originally from Vermont, uh, a yeah. uh, small uh, ski area, which is kind of now a public area, a community area called Mount Escutney uh, back in Vermont. And that's where I grew up. I grew up on the... Uh, Right on the mountain, uh, at the base of the mountain, I should say. My uh, family and my best friend uh, was were the were part of the ownership or the ownership group at the time, and so I, uh, I got a lot of experiences to be able to hang around and you know in the back offices and the, the backs of uh, chairlift rooms, uh, snowcats. So it was a really as a young you know seven, eight, nine, ten year old. It was a great experience, and I had two dreams in life. One was to be a professional baseball player, and one was to own a, operate a ski resort, and. Believe it or not, there's uh, more professional baseball players than there are ski area owners. So uh, <laughs> That's true. I, didn't pick, I didn't pick two uh, two careers that had a lot of uh, you know, caught a lot of uh, you know, bandwidth, so to say. But uh, anyway, from there, uh, I, I grew up in Valley Scotney. I, I worked in all the departments you could think of. Went on to college, did play some baseball, but obviously not good enough to <laughs> to be a pro. Uh, and uh, came back and uh, ran a small area out about a year out of college called Hunt Hollow Ski Area in Western New York. I uh, did that for five years and then was recruited at that time to come to Mountain High by the previous owner, uh, Terry Cognizzini. That was in the 1993-94 season. And Terry was a very interesting individual, uh, but I learned a lot from him. And uh, I worked for him for a full year uh, and realized that probably wasn't you know, the type of structure I wanted to be with long term. Uh, so at that point, I was uh, accepted the position of executive director of Spirit Mountain in, in Minnesota. Uh, so I went to Spirit Mountain in Minnesota for uh, basically two and a half years, and I was recruited back to Mountain High in 1996 by Terry and a group that was looking to purchase uh, Mountain High. Uh, they wanted me to come back and be part of that group and uh, uh, head, head up the purchase. Well, when I got back to Mountain High in 96, I realized that you know they were far from, uh, uh, you know, far from purchasing this area. They, they were still trying to you know, find money uh, and all the above. And uh, uh, that deal fell apart, but Terry had, you know, had basically decided he wanted, to, he wanted to sell and I was able to work on that project. And we put together a deal with Oak Tree Capital out of LA. And then 97, actually right around this date, I think it was June 12th of 1997, uh, the new Mountain High was born. And that's when I uh, started my trek within ownership and uh, was became president, general manager, uh, CEO at that time, and uh, have been in that position uh, through three different partnerships uh, ever since. So that's uh, that's a little history. That is uh, that is a really interesting story for a lot of reasons. And I want to I want to go back to one detail that you mentioned, Carl, because you are the second Scaria leader that I've spoken with in the past several months who grew up at Escutney, and the other was Amber Broadway, who is now the president of Solitude Mountain in Utah. Mm -hmm. And, and she had a lot of really fond memories of that area. And I'll ask you the same question that I asked her, which is, you know, Escutney lives on in, in much modified form. The upper mountain, as you know, has been delifted. It's now a backcountry area where they allow skiers to go up and they run a rope tow and a T-bar and, and it's a, a community nonprofit. Just curious about your thoughts on Escutney and where it is today 
And and whether you are, are mournful that it's not a full operating scary or or are you just happy it survived in some form? Yeah, I, th- I think a little of both. Uh, Eskandi was, and I, 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 I didn't know what, uh, what you just said. I, I don't know if I, she must have been after me or whatever. I, I don't remember her. I left uh, in 88, 89 from Eskandi. Uh, but anyway, Eskandi, real quick, uh, was always weather challenged. Uh, ra- our radios used to be able to pick up Okemo, and they would be making snow at say 25, 26 degrees, and we'd be sitting at, you know, 30, 32 degrees. Oh, wow. uh, and, you know, they would be picking up four, five, six inches of snow and we'd be maybe get a flurry. So it's, it was really challenging. As you know, it's a Muslim, um, a Muslim and it's a, it sits by itself. So it doesn't get the same weather patterns that the Green Mountain Range gets. And it sits in the Connecticut River Valley. So uh, it was always weather challenged and it is very steep. Uh, it doesn't really lend itself to you know, intermediate, uh, lower intermediate beginner terrain uh, uh, for a lot of the mountain. And, you know, it's basically one big block of granite. So uh, it was always challenged weather-wise and uh, in terrain-wise. So I think the fact that it's still operating in some form is a, a real blessing and a testament to uh, the community. I'm actually going back there to uh, my niece's graduation on uh, on Thursday uh, for Friday for graduation, and we'll be staying at Mount Escutney. So it's always nice. fun to go, it's always fun to go back, and uh, my brother still lives right in the family home, so I uh, uh, still have a lot of uh, affection for it, and uh, I'm just glad it it isn't completely closed. And it sounds like it's got it's found a nice niche, and probably that's where it should stay, and uh, and so on and so forth. So again, sad it never really took off, but happy it's still you know the resort is still operating in the base, uh, and the they're still skiing for the locals. So as as a Scotney's been on its trajectory, you've been growing mountain high out in California for a number of decades now. Uh, at what point, Carl, did you actually, because at one point you bought out your partners and took full ownership of the resort. W- when did that opportunity come up? Why did you take it? And how did it feel to finally own your own ski resort, live your lifelong dream? Well, yeah, it was, it was really, that was through uh, the CNL lease back days. So basically what you owned was the management company uh, and my partners at the time really weren't interested in having a management owning a management company so i owned the management company along with stevens pass i had stevens pass also uh so for five uh eight years uh and and then that was sold out to uh to obviously Vale. so uh so that was under the cnl leaseback so i owned the operating company uh you know again i i love having and being uh, i've always treated them no matter what my ownership uh, percentage was as as if i owned them totally outright (laughs) uh but i love having you know, partners, uh, and basically the partners I've had through the years have always been, uh, you know, supportive, but more in the, uh, you know, I call it silent uh, mold, uh, you know, again, reporting uh, on monthly financial uh, projections and, and uh, performance, but not in day-to-day operations. But it's nice to have that uh, backing when in, when you have a bad year or when you have a, a project or something like that that you, you can uh, pull from versus... Uh, you know, every day waking up wondering if you're going to make the next payroll or not. So, uh, so I've liked all my experiences. Uh, I think the current ones we're in, where it's a nice blend of, of ownership and uh, and partnership, is is the best model for at least me uh, for both uh, you know, the financial stability and the growth of, of the of the resort. So, uh, but I, I feel blessed every day that I've been able to fulfill the dream of, of uh, being an owner, owner have ownership of. Uh, now, you know, multiple areas over the last uh, last decade. Yeah, it really is um, multiple areas. And that's that's before you even had a Dodge Ridge. So Mountain High 
for those who are not familiar with who does not skied it, it's actually three distinct ski areas and they used to be separate ski areas, separate businesses. So take us back here, Carl, and give us a, a mountain high 101. So at one time you had Blue Ridge, Holiday Hill and Table Mountain, which later became Ski Sunrise. And those all are now mountain high. Uh, just tell us about the history of those areas and how they came together to form the modern mountain high. Well, uh, Mountain High, uh, <clears throat> Blue Ridge slash Mountain High uh, West, which is our main area, that was uh, that changed to Mountain High around, I want to say, 73, 74-ish. Uh, and the reason the ownership, uh, part of the ownership group at the time, owned the ski shop down in uh, the L.A. Basin that was called Mountain High Ski Shop. So, uh, you know, and actually it's a very fitting name for the area and the, and the region. So, uh uh, it, but they changed the name to Blue Ridge to Mountain High, uh, I, I want to say, call it early 70s, uh, 73, 74-ish. Uh, and then when uh, Terry Tongzini bought Blue Ridge uh, slash Mountain High West, or Mountain High at the time, in uh, 1978, uh, he, the following year, within a, within a couple years of that, he purchased uh, Holiday Hill, and it, so he changed the name to Mountain High East. And then he had Mountain High West. And Mountain High East, uh, and under the same umbrella, and that that went on until 2004 when we purchased, uh, which is now Mountain High North, uh, that was currently Sunrise. So, for the last 15, you know, 18 years now, they've been under one umbrella as Mountain High. But the funny thing is, I do remember when uh, I, I, of course, was not there when it was uh, Holiday Hill and or just Mountain High West, uh, but when we had Mountain High east and west and uh and sunrise was still open it was really oh there was maybe a half dozen days where uh the owner would come down from uh from up there and get all upset because he thought we were trying to pull cars off the road into our parking lots <laughs> to the first parking lots and i can only imagine what it was like when all three were operating as individual areas and we see this all over the country i mean uh you know as you probably know snow colony uh was four separate areas at one time all you know all within a ridge line there's, there's stories like that all over the, the country but uh it really was for some sometimes not so friendly competition, I believe. So uh, yeah, now with you know, and same with the Big Bear Resorts are now you know under one umbrella. So uh, it's really changed a lot. But uh, there was a lot of feuding back in the days. Uh, you know, who uh, you know, and you're literally you know a half mile apart. So, uh, but yeah, uh, since the last uh, you know 15, 17 years, we've been you know mountain high and obviously east, west, and north. So you must have been personally involved with the absorption of Ski Sunrise when that ski area came into Mountain High. So so tell us what happened with Sunrise. Why did you decide to buy it and how has that acquisition worked out? Well again, it was it's a it's a it's of the three, it's the smallest. Uh, it, we were the only ones I, I had a saying uh, back in the day uh, that the uh, in the previous owner he was trying to sell it at, you know near the end of his uh, uh, life and uh, very very nice interesting gentleman he built it from the ground up and uh, long story short on that one though as I always had a saying that uh, you know his family the first call would be to the undertaker the second call would be to us um, <laughs> and that pretty much played out so uh, he when he became incapacitated I don't believe he'd actually passed yet uh, his family wanted rid of it and it really couldn't stand on its own it doesn't have any significant water or snow making or uh, anything else like that. So, uh, it was, it would be, it was almost impossible to compete, uh, on an individual basis, uh, uh, with Mountain High. So we were the very logical purchasers and we bought it under the idea that, uh, it gave us, uh, minimally, it gave us another 400 parking spots and 
they gave us a place to do, as it turns out, some uh, a lot of some snow play, which we can talk about in a, in a minute. How big that's become in our, our region, um, and also now it runs our it has a really nice lodge. It was built from scratch with timber from right there on the mountain, a kind of an authentic '50s type lodge that we use for uh, a summer restaurant and summer activities and so on and so forth. So. As a whole, considering what the purchase price was and whatever else, it made a ton of sense and still does uh, made a ton of sense. Uh, it's not a big contributor to skier visits or the actual skiing portion of, of what we do, but it's a it's a great piece to have as a, as a whole equation. So talk a little more about that concept of snow play, Carl, because I was out in Los Angeles a couple of years ago over the Christmas break. And it wasn't a ski trip. It was a family trip. But we went up to uh, Joshua Tree one day and it had snowed. And I passed the exits to the ski areas there. And I saw snow play areas. And I was like, "What? what is that? Because as you know, because you grew up in Vermont, I'm out in New York, it, you know, it either snows or it doesn't. And altitude does make some difference. But it, for the most part, people who are not skiers just want the snow to go away. It's not a novelty. But, but talk about why that's a successful thing out there, this notion of going up into the mountains and just playing in the snow, not, not for skiers, just, you know, anyone who is curious about it. No, it's, it's, it's become a huge part of our business. Uh, mainly because again, a lot of the people, unlike the East, like you mentioned, uh, pretty much everyone who's lived there any amount of time has seen snow, touched snow, and some like it, some don't, as you said. Yeah. Uh, but in California, we have a ton of people who have never touched, never seen snow in their lives other than maybe from a, a long distance in the tops of the mountains or something. When on a beautiful clear day from LA, you can see the mountaintops uh, uh, covered with snow and that's the best billboard you could have. And, uh, you know, another, you know, another theory I have is that, you know, roughly three to 5% of the population can either afford or has a physical ability to ski or snowboard. You know, 70% of the population can snow play uh, both financially and uh, physically. So uh, it really opens up a door to, so many different things that you know that people can do and we've basically turned in you know our our base area at mountain high east and uh and then overflow at north uh to you know a, a snow play a gateway to winter a gateway to come play in the snow in the old days you used to chase them away because they got in the way of the skiers and uh everything else and now it's it's uh it's it makes up uh i don't know 15 close to 20 percent of our, our our revenue uh in a given year uh, and it exposes so many people to winters. I have more fun standing there watching people, you know, come play in the snow and their expressions and how happy they are than anything else I do. It's it's really it's really uh, really fun to see people. Uh, you know, we have tubing, sledding, uh, big piles of snow where you can just go up and build a snowman or you know play, play king of the mountain, so to say. Uh, <laughs> all types of activities, and we keep adding and thinking about how can you do more with it, trying to make it almost a I hate to use the word Disney, but almost a amusement type uh, uh, approach to snow play, not just come and grab a tube and go up and down a few times, but come and actually spend the day in the snow. And, uh, you know, again, and with that, there's also chairlift rides that takes them to the top of the mountain that allows them to see, you know, so much more uh, with that. So with the combination of all that, it's a full day's experience and it's, uh, it's become uh, hugely popular and profitable. So, uh, um, I see as much, if not more, growth at Mountain High in that aspect of the business than I do in the ski and snowboard for the reasons I said before. That's so interesting that you mentioned that you used to have to chase them away. Whose idea was it to say, wait a minute, why don't we let them mess around in the snow? 
And when did that, when did you start to establish that as a viable piece of Mountain High's business? Well, we, we've done it for quite a while, but when we really embraced it was during the drought years. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to think I was smart, but I was actually stupid. It took 15 years where it took to really figure it out. Uh, so, um, you know, basically we, during the drought years, due to water constraints and other things, we just couldn't operate uh, all of our terrain, especially uh, the East Resort, uh, which we, you know, talk, talk about more in, in more detail later. But so basically we had this area, this base area sitting there empty uh, and people would drive by and go to the West area. And it just, one, it didn't look good. And two, it was, it was a waste of uh, uh, facilities and uh, infrastructure. So, you know, finally we decided, well, why don't we make a snow play area here? And from there, it's just exploded to where, you know, that's, uh, you know, basically the snow play is the main function there. The skiing, which is very good there, becomes a, uh, a secondary function as it relates to, uh, you know, on a day-to-day, year-to-year basis. Uh, obviously, right after a snowstorm or something like that, it can be, it can, you know, swing the other way, but it's become uh, the snow play. We'll have anywhere from 12 to 1,500 people in uh, wow. in there playing on a on a Saturday Sunday or holiday and and the other part of it it is somewhat drought uh, resistant in the sense it only takes about an acre on the low side as high as three acres to perform all that so you're not talking about trying to make snow on you know 100 or 200 acres to to, to ski or snowboard when you have water issues and water constraints uh, you can still provide and be profitable uh, and provide a, you know a great experience on a uh, you know, a couple, couple, three acres, and which translates to maybe a million gallons worth of water versus, uh, you know, millions of gallons uh, to ski and snowboard. That's a really good transition, actually, into snowmaking at your mountain high complex, Carl. Just talk about how much snowmaking you have at each of the three ski areas and what the long-term potential is and what your constraints are. Well, the, you know, we'll start with constraints. Constraints are water. Uh, we, we don't have a lake or a river that we draw from. We draw from uh, eight wells that are based in the, the base of the, of the two ski areas, the east and west ski area, which are then pumped up and stored in uh, reservoirs, which can hold roughly 45 million gallons. Uh, but on a drought years, like we had, uh, for those who aren't familiar, from 2013, 14-ish through 17-ish were really the key drought years. Uh, you know, we had very little precipitation and... Uh, those wells only, you know, are reliant on how much snow you get the year before and how much rain you get. So during those drought years, we were, we had half our normal water supply. Uh, so we had to be creative. And basically that's when we transitioned to, you know, the snow play and to the learn to, because uh, those uh, learn to ski so ride uh, as areas of number one priority, because those are areas you still can be very profitable and they don't take as much water as opening, uh, you know, lots of terrain. So, uh, as far as how much our West Resort is about 70% covered with snowmaking, which was just called 150 acres ish, probably. Uh, and the West, the East Resort is about 90% uh, covered with snowmaking, uh, although we don't necessarily always open it all uh, on snowmaking uh, due to, again, water constraints and others. So uh, basically, the biggest thing we've been doing the last uh, 10 years, but really in the last five years, is just looking at more efficient snowmaking apparatus as the technology has gotten a lot better. Originally, a lot of the you know, more efficient technology wouldn't really work in Southern California because we make so much snow at actually above freezing, but you know, really dry wet bulbs, low wet bulbs. Uh, so we make a ton of snow at say 30, 20, uh, 30, 32 
34 dry bulb, but a wet bulb of, of, of say, you know, in the upper 20s. And a wet bulb is a combination of humidity and dry, uh, in the dry bulb, of course. So my, not to get too technical here, but the, the earlier technology that was more efficient, a lot of areas started using maybe 15, 20 years ago, really didn't get refined enough to use in those types of temperatures until the last five, eight years. Uh, so we've been really converting over to a more efficient, uh, you know, form of making snow and really cut down on our diesel use and our, our, our energy costs and our energy. Uh, so really the future is, is continue to become more efficient, but we're always, con our biggest constraint and the biggest thing we have to always monitor is, uh, is uh, how much water we're going to have in a given winter. And in the drought years, we got down to, uh, you know, again, roughly half of what we really think we should have and need to be, you know, to open the train we really want to open. And that's, uh, it takes around 80 to 100 million gallons and we were half that during the drought years but with the advent of the snow play and the transitioning to a more concentrated effort on the learn to entry level uh we can combat that and be somewhat drought resistant so how much did that matter you mentioned that you had a slow start to this ski season at mountain high and we'll talk about dodge ridge in a little bit but how much of a difference did that new technology and your recent investments in snowmaking matter to allowing you to open Mountain High and give you, you know, a, a pretty regular ski season as far as opening and operating dates go? Oh, it's, 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 you know, we can do a lot more, a lot faster now. Uh, uh, we can open basically a third of the West Resort and, oh, you know, 40, 50 hours uh, of snowmaking where that would, that used to take, uh, probably, you know, double that, maybe even triple that, you know, 100, 120 hours. So wow. we can go a lot faster, cover a lot more terrain, run a lot more of our of our, of our actual snowmaking guns. Uh, and that's really, you know, what we're seeing with, you know, whatever you want to believe uh, is, you know, what we're seeing with the recent, you know, uh, weather cycles, what the climate change, whether, again, whatever you want to use is that the windows are shorter and further apart. Uh, even in the 25 years I've been, you know, at Mountain High, 26 years, uh, you know, you you really, you you really have to be ready anytime from November one on because, uh, you know, so we've had a couple of years in the last few where the best snowmaking until Christmas was actually early November, and you know, you didn't get another window until later. So it's so important to be able to make a lot of snow in a in a short period of time in the climate we're dealing with. Remember, we're we're in Southern California, and we don't we don't get. Uh, you know, the typical cold snaps and extended cold periods you get in a lot of the country. Do you have snowmaking at North? We have a very limited system there that covers, uh, that covers the snow tubing area, snow play area. So we, we can, uh, we can, it, it's the same water source as uh, that we, you know, that I mentioned before. So it's not a separate water source. So uh, we can, we can produce enough snow to open the snow play, uh, snow, uh, snow tubing area. We don't have enough to you know, open skiing on that. Do you think that your snowmaking footprint is about maxed out right now, or do you plan to expand that in the future? Uh, I, where I see the expansion is in the uh, is in the uh, uh, technology and being able to make more snow faster. Again, really, where our model is going and you know where things are today is I don't see us expanding our skiing terrain uh, anytime in, in the in the near future for various reasons. One is what I just got done saying until you could. And there really is no easy solution to adding more water, uh, just you know, given that you know, where we are in, in, in society and life and timing and uh, and cost. Uh, so 
we're really more focused on how you do it more efficiently, how you can do it quicker, uh, and also how you can, like I said, with the snow play, with the learn to, how you can, you know, how you, how more is how less is more, uh, and how we can create more fun and uh, you know without with less uh, call it, uh, less potentially less snow or less terrain open, uh, and again that's that's really where our focus has been. And then not to dive into summer, but then expanding our summer op- activities and operations to offset some of that. So you, you mentioned you're done with expansions for now. You have a total of 290 acres developed of mountain highs, 515 acre permit area. E- even keeping in mind that you don't plan to expand in the future, where is the rest of that terrain that you would be able to perhaps expand into at some point? Where's the rest of that 515 acres? Well, a lot of it's in between. Yeah, those are actually uh, trails. A lot of it is skiable. It's gladed between the trails. Uh, this, uh, Mountain High uh, is, is is pretty unique in the sense that there's <clears throat> some great great terrain between uh, all all within the boundaries. If you do have a significant snow year, it's some really good skiing. But the the real expansion that had been talked about pretty strongly in the 80s and early 90s uh, under the ownership of Terry Tognazzini was the uh, connection of the two resorts and We've still looked at that, and I, I think we'd look at it more in a sense of maybe a lift to connect it to. But for what, the reasons I just got done saying is, uh, in, in, unless you have the, the the water to make the snow, there's no sense in putting in the terrain because again, uh, uh, some years you would not ski it at all without uh, man-made snow. Other years you may get, you know, 10, 15 days, and every now and then maybe you get a, a more full season, but. Uh, that's always been the it, dream uh, is to connect the two areas. But the two things going against that are not having the water. And two, it really isn't great terrain for the average skier and snowboarder. And we find that our skier and snowboarder now is more of that intermediate, lower intermediate entry level type. Uh, and that's that's for various reasons. One, partly because of us and what we've, what we've tried to, you know, really do uh, given the, the things I mentioned earlier, and and two, quite honestly, with the new mega passes, uh, a lot of the people who are more advanced are, you know, are, are on those, and they're going to uh, the bigger resorts outside the region or north of us uh, uh, in skiing and snowboarding. So uh, right after a big storm, you see a few of those, but you don't see the uh, even since uh, you know in the last twenty years that you've you've seen a big shift for. Uh, where you just don't see those types of skiers and snowboarders anymore uh, at the you know, at, at a place like Mountain High. There's lots of interesting stuff in there. I'll I'll go with the expansion right now. There's two ways you could connect east and west. One would be a lift, I would assume, from the bottom of Discovery to the top of Exhibition. The other would be a ski between, maybe coming out on Easy Rider. Which of those options have you considered, and and which do you think is more feasible or practical? Well, actually, the way it was uh, the way it was originally designed would be uh, it'd be, uh, be t- a lift. Uh, it, it would be two lifts uh, to connect the two, uh, and uh, or you could do a lift which would go up the mountain, or you could do a lift across the bottom. And that's the one that's probably the most makes the most sense. The move peel back and forth would be a lift, uh, believe it or not, across the bottom between the two bases that would act as a transport lift. So people. Wanted to ski east, could jump on, or, or had to park at east, could jump on the lift and ride the west. Wanted to go from west to east. That would that would uh, probably be the most efficient and the most feasible. Would be connecting it across the bottom with a uh, some type of uh, low profile uh, lift that would uh, that would accomplish that goal, and it wouldn't 
be environmentally that uh, uh, challenging to do and wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't take up a lot of other resources such as water or snowmaking to uh, accomplish. What were the two lifts that you mentioned before that was that were they would, the... be, they would go from the bottom of the uh, of the what we call the chair ten beginner area at at the east resort up to the top of uh, the west resort and then there'd be one that would ha- be somewhere kind of a third two th- uh, two thirds of the way up that would go up to the they would shoot to the top of the east resort so it'd be a two lift structure uh, and we we have design of that and have that out again. But it would it would it would take a it, that would be a, a fairly large environmental project as far as approvals and then uh, a fairly significant investment both in development and uh, in the snowmaking to to cover such things and, and right now obviously that's a, that's a, uh, you know until the water situation could be figured out it probably wouldn't be financially wise to to tackle that because again you don't want to put that in you just have it sit there. And where's the rest of your permit area at in relation to the current trail map of east and west? Basically, it's all within the those existing. Uh, the boundaries are on either side of the mm. east and west, so there's not there's not a lot to the uh, there's not a lot to either side of the permit. Uh, if you're looking at the you know looking up at both mountains, uh, we, the boundaries of the ski areas pretty much are the boundary of the permits. I, I kind of like the idea of. It just for a simplicity sake of connecting the two base areas of east and west. I don't know if you ski in Loon Mountain in New Hampshire. Yes. Uh, yeah, so they have that little train that goes back and forth, and you can ski between the base areas. But it's kind of cool. The kids like it. I mean, you could never you could never get that uh, environmentally approved in California without it being grandfathered. But something like that, I think, would be you know fairly easy to get yeah. approved and not that expensive. No, no, not that would be the that would be the most logical way in the current environment uh, to accomplish this would be a connecting across the across the bottom and uh, again it would solve most of the problems which are traffic between the two areas uh, people parking at one wanting to be at the other or wanting to you know midday wanting to go from one to the other not wanting to get on a shuttle right now we have a shuttle bus shuttle buses that does that but it would make it a lot smoother so that would be something that we would definitely uh, entertain and look at as we go forward. So uh, I, I always like to ask the pie in the sky questions. Uh, how how feasible or not would it ever be to connect north to east and west? Just if you had unlimited budget, uh, it wouldn't be feasible at all. So. <laughs> 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 yeah, the, yeah, again, there is there's no again. There's not enough. There's not enough at north to make a reason. I mean, you want to get way out there. Uh, way back in the day, there was a uh, a plan to create a gondola from the high desert. Uh, which would be the north side of north, uh, down off of a, 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 a highway called 138, uh, and run a gondola up to the top of uh, north, and then the gondola would go from the top of north over to uh, the base of west. And the, the thought process was that would, uh, you know, people could park down there and never have to drive in the snow. Uh, you know, but again, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, in this day and age, <laughs> what if you could ever do it? It's probably a 50, maybe a hundred million dollar project. So that's, uh, that's probably not going to happen under my watch, but uh, uh, it was, it was always kind of a cool idea. So that's not in your current development plan, but you do have 14 lifts. Uh, it's a nice fleet. It does have some miles on it. Your newest lift is the Blue Ridge Express, which is by the way, a really nice nod to your history there. And, and also I noticed the sunlight quad over at the old sunlight. So that, that's both really cool. Um, but, the, but that lift is from 1999, you know, looking around the mountain, what is your wish list, Carl? for upgrades at Mountain High? 
for lifts? Yeah, we, we would love to replace the double-double. Uh, it's, uh, it's a yawn double-double around the base of West. Uh, again, back to the you – know, probably with a six-pack or maybe an eight-pack oh. because uh, it's a uh, – you know, it's a – it's a big beginner area. It'd be great to have a high-speed lift there, not for speed and time, but for loading and unloading, and potentially having that with a mid mid unload and then going all the way to the top, uh, just to the left of the of the Conquest Chair Five lift. That would be our major lift, uh, you know, upgrade. Quite honestly, the rest of it all flows pretty well, uh, and there really is no real you know, pinch points. That that would be the biggest one. Just clean that up and uh, really you know, improve that beginner you know, lower end experience, uh, uh, right out of the base area. So that would be, that would be our wish list lift. Uh, if, uh, if, and when we decide to do that along with, you know, potentially looking at something between, uh, the East and West resort, like we just got done talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't know when the last time you submitted a master plan was, was that six or APEC on your last master plan? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is. I think we had it in as a six. You know, eight's become a little more popular. It might be a little too big for that area, though. It's a it's a pretty tight area, but a six pack would be a, a great little lift right there. What would it take to make that happen, Carl? Is is it just a money thing? Is it is it a planning thing? Is it? I mean, know that you know lifts are a little back ordered right now, given the spending splurge by the big boys. What what would it take to to see an upgrade there? Yeah, I think I think just you know taking a step back and seeing what you know. You know where you know where we think we're going to get the most return for our investment. That we're, we're looking at a lot of stuff in summer. Uh, you know, we'll continue to look at a lot of you know, a lot of you know improvements in the efficiencies of snowmaking. And as we all know, none of that stuff is is cheap. Uh, so I you know, but I would say you know in the next couple three years that could definitely be on the docket to look at. It's probably depending if we did a midway unload and went to the uh, went to the top. Or not, because that adds a lot. You know, that adds a lot of, to the lift. But it's probably a, a low side six to a high side nine, you know, high as ten million dollar lift. Uh, so uh, it's a, that's a big investment, and uh, you know, we have there's probably a few things in front of that that we want to continue to do. But it's definitely it's not out. It's not in you know, la la land or out there in no man's land. It's it's definitely it's definitely uh, you know in in the in the conversation as we go forward. Would the mid station be near where the top of those two lifts is now? Yes, it would be exactly there. Yes, and or slightly, slightly, slightly to the left of there. But yeah, right in that general area. That's you know you unload there. You wouldn't load there, but you could unload there, and then uh, other people who want to just go to the top could keep going to the top, which would which would give that whole tier five uh, conquest area uh, more uh, user ability friendly, uh, you know, friendly usability. Right now, it's serviced by an older triple chair. That's uh, you know, it's 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 a fair you know for you know it's not that long. It's a fair ride, especially after you ride the the the, the high speed quads. You really don't want to sit there for seven, eight minutes, uh, nine minutes, whatever it is. So uh, it would it would make that nicer too. So it improve both the beginner and the uh, you know more advanced uh, experience. So it's it's unique when you, you know, potentially affect both. Would the conquest chair come out then, or would you leave oh, that, that for redundancy? That'd be, that'd be a good redundancy lift. It, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's paid for, so to say. You know, <laughs> you might as well leave it. Uh, and again, uh, you know, busier days or redundancy is always a nice thing. One more quick question about lifts before we move on. Looking at the old sunrise lifts, they used to actually run down into the bowl, which yeah. is shown on your James Newhouse trail map. Really beautiful trail map, by the way. It's shown on the trail map uh, and, you know, a trail map designer told me recently that 
sometimes they leave those open areas when Iscaria plans to expand down into there. So I'm sure that there's some folks looking at that uh, north trail map and saying, oh, are they going to put a lift down there? What are your thoughts on eventually expanding down into that bowl, into the historic ski trails at sunrise? Yeah. If we tore out a lift, uh, and that would be an example, I tore out like a chair three uh, or, you know, came across it, one of the other areas, came across a, a lift, and, you know, that would be a perfect spot for a used lift, uh, double or triple. Uh, I don't think you could ever pencil out a new lift there, uh, just given, a, you know, like I said, it's it's basically based on natural snow fall, and uh, you, you would not, uh, you know, it would not ever be the capability, again, without literally millions and millions to put snowmaking in to cover an area like that. Uh, so it'd have to be something that you could pencil out and say, if we we'll put a used lift in, it costs us seven, 800,000. We think that that can pencil out, you know, a new lift would be probably even in a fixed grip would be close to three, two and a half, three there. So, uh, which you can never pencil out. So I'd, I'd never say never, but it's, again, it's lower on the list of, uh, of, uh, of areas and, and like I said, maybe you're you're getting a little bit of the feel of what um, we're going here. Is quite honestly, our, our main focus is the more entry intermediate level skier, uh, and the the snow player is really our niche now, uh, and not necessarily you know the person who's looking for the steep and deep or the you know the big bigger mountain experience. And for all the reasons I said before, some of it our own physical limitations and some of how the market's changed and. We want to make sure we're changing with it, not chasing a, you know, a, a dog that's uh, already been caught or something like that. <laughs> so it, it, you're doing a lot to improve the business's resiliency over the long term. One of the elements you have that not all Western skiers necessarily do is a really strong culture of night skiing and a really expansive night skiing operation. Just talk quickly about where we would find night skiing in that mountain high complex and how important that is to your operation. Well, it's very important. Uh, roughly, depending on the year, now the COVID year, it was up as high as, you know, 26, 27% of our business was at night. Uh, wow. This last year was around 21. Uh, it varies between 20 and 23% of our business. Uh, and that's just strictly who's actually there after five o'clock because we, a lot of people you know, will be there, come at two and go to four, uh, five or six or seven. So that's not counting that either. So, no, it's a big part of our business. And, uh, uh, you know, basically given our location, you know, we're 45 minutes from, you know, four or five million people. We're an hour and a half from, you know, 10, 12 million people. And we're three hours from 20 million people. So uh, just given our location and everything, it's it's uh, it's, it's hugely important. Roughly 60% of the uh, West Resort is lit. So, uh, and that's pretty much where that has to stay. And uh, I, I can jump ahead of you on the question. Uh, the reason it don't, we don't have the East Resort is that uh, we have a big facility across the street from us that is called JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratories. that has a, a lot of scientific work they do in, in, in telescopes and light pollution is huge. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, it's been, you probably would have a hard time getting night skiing approved if you were starting from scratch today. So any expansion of that's really difficult uh, given that uh, facility. So. Uh, and we have different light codes and different things we have to do on a given night. So, uh, but we're happy with what we have, and we are adding and, and, and dabbling with doing more night uh, uh, snow play too. So, uh, again, given where we're located in the population and everything else, it's a it's a big part of our business, obviously. So, lots of really interesting and unique challenges that define Mountain High and how you've 
evolved it over the years. Different set of challenges entered your portfolio last year when you purchased Dodge Ridge, also in California, but quite a bit north from Sally and Frank Helm, who had run the mountain for 45 years and decided to retire. How did the opportunity come up to purchase Dodge Ridge and why did you do it? Well, so, uh, uh, I'll try to make a long story quick. Uh, I'd had my eye on Dodge Ridge for quite some time. Uh, you know, it's one of those areas that, uh, you know, I saw potential in and, you know, knew what, you know, what we could do and, you know, kind of model some of the stuff I've done at other places. But it also was an area that I knew probably wouldn't draw a ton of interest from, uh, like a, big, a better word, the ski, the bigger ski companies. Uh, so it was, but it was, you know, there's not a lot of those areas that are, you know, kind of uniquely positioned where they still have a fair number of upside, but aren't, I call it, uh, are going to be gobbled up by, you know, the, the bigger ski companies. So this was one of them. And I'd known Frank and Sally for, oh gosh, uh, since the mid nineties sitting on boards, uh, uh, with both of them at different times. Uh, and I had mentioned uh, over a course of, of time to Frank, uh, Hey, you know, if you ever interested in, uh, in, in, in selling, please let, let me, us know. And, uh, you know, would love to, love to go from there. And, uh, it would be two years ago, well, it would be a year and a half ago now, or in October of 2020, uh, I got a call and I looked at my phone and I recognized the 209 number for up in this area. And sure enough, it was Frank. And uh, he, uh, we had a quick conversation. He said, Sally would be back in touch. And uh, sure enough, a week or two later, we were in touch. And we took it from there, did our due diligence, uh, entered into a purchase and sale agreement uh, about this time a year, well, a little early in this May of, 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 uh, of last year. And we closed the deal and uh, around August 20, 19th or 20th, I believe it was. So uh, uh, it went fairly quickly. It was a fairly uh, straightforward uh, transaction. And uh, uh, they were interested in somebody taking it on that would, you know, preserve some of the, or a lot of the culture that they had established over 45 years and then even before them. And uh, uh, that definitely fit into the mold that I, we were looking for. Uh, so it was a it was a it was a really nice fit for for all all concerned. So uh, uh, again, that's that's the quick the quick version. So talk about the culture, Carl, that you inherited because as you mentioned, the ski industry has changed a lot. There are a lot of big companies, a lot of very well capitalized companies. They've mostly rounded up the largest resorts, and Dodge Ridge kind of sits as a gateway in front of Mammoth and Kirkwood and Palisades Tahoe and Heavenly and all these big ski areas that are in uh in the sierra nevada mountains it, so so you know they, they must have built something special for it to be able to weather all that and to stand out and and build folks who are loyal to that so talk about the culture that the helm family built over the decades and that you inherited when you purchased dodge ridge yes no and uh, and again just to to you know separate a little bit here uh, Mountain High and Dodge Ridge are very culturally different. Mountain High is much more transient. Uh, people come and go because it's just how Southern California is and, and so on and so forth, much more youthful. Dodge Ridge is much more generational. It's very similar to Stevens Pass uh, in that sense where you have generational skiers. Like I said earlier in my conversation, I'll have you know not just one person, but numerous people or families that come up and say, uh, you know, we've been, my dad or granddad was skiing here and since, you know, it opened in 1950 or I've been skiing here since, you know, 1955 and my, you know, great grandfather built a cabin here, uh, so on and so forth. So it's really built on that, uh, basis is, uh, uh, is a, it almost has a feel of a 
semi-private club, so to say. Uh, most of our weekend people uh, have a cabin or know someone that had a cabin or uh, it, within the region. There's uh, lots of cabins uh, within, a, say, a 20, 30-mile radius uh, here in the mountains, and uh, uh, most of them have been in families for a long time. So basically, they built upon that family feel, that family uh, their theme was family owned, family built, family loved, which is a great slogan. Uh, and we've tried to you know, maintain that and just you know, build upon it, give it a little more capital, uh, add a little more, you know, call it, uh, uh, you know, freshen it up some and so on. But we never want to or intend to or it'd be disastrous to try to make it into something it isn't, which is, you know, trying to compete head to head with the Tahoe resorts. Most of our people, I would say 50 percent plus of our pass holders have passes to either an epic pass or an icon pass hmm. uh, but they consider this their home mountain and they just buy that is it's like buying a product they buy that pass because they know they're going to go ski in tahoe and you know right now it's it's almost impossible not to buy one because of the, the price structure so uh but uh so they're very much aware of the other opportunities the other areas the other resorts uh, but this is this is their home mountain and where their passion is. And uh, that's really been interesting to learn and something I didn't know as strongly coming into this. So and they're all super excited about seeing some some change. And it's been quite a while for anything significant's happened. Basically, you know, 10, 15 years since anything significantly had changed. So, um, you know, again, just, uh, just some freshening up, some uh, some some improvements and some tweaks, but not anything that would be considered a cultural change and, and turning it into something that might resemble what you'd find uh, at, you know, say in Tahoe or some other, you know, call it uh, area similar to that. So uh, uh, we're very cognizant of that and trying to build upon that and also building upon uh, Summit Mountain High. It is the closest access to the Bay Area to snow. That's been a slogan from uh, and really strengthening that slogan. And, you know, when gas prices go up and when uh, uh, roads are bad or traffic and, and congestion gets huge, uh, that's when we really have a huge advantage because of our location and all the above. So playing on those couple of facts uh, are really where we see uh, the continued growth. But again, not getting off the the general and not losing sight of what it what it is, which is a family a family loved area. Culturally, it sounds like you inherited a really great tradition and some really loyal skiers who are probably happy to hear everything you just laid out. Now that you've had a year to hopefully ski a little bit to manage the place. Just talking about the mountain itself, the infrastructure, I have some specific questions here, but what's your vision for Dodge Ridge over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years? Well, I mean, we're already starting on that. You know, it's, it's funny. It's a, it's a, you know, from the base here when you pull in, it doesn't look all that, you don't see all that much. Uh, uh, my wife and I were driving up to look at it the first time and I, I, you know, at the time she wasn't that excited about this, uh, you know, the situation. We got up here and you know we went out skiing the next morning and by ten o'clock uh, she was she was you know ecstatic about this and sold on it so uh, it really has a it really has a, a nice it really flows well it has uh, some nice terrain uh, especially for that middle intermediate type skier rider uh, but again it really needs it needs it needs a you know somewhat of a, of a facelift when you pull in and that's part of what we're doing this year replacing two very old uh, riblet uh, center post lifts that basically. You know, we're, we're not that attractive. And, uh, you know, one of the lift uh, gentlemen who does a lot of lift work in the area or uh, in the state, uh, you know, said it looked like you pulled into the yard and saw two, you know, two cars jacked up on 
I'm blocked. Uh, so taking stuff like that, cleaning that up, which we're doing this summer, uh, you know, just to, you know, refining, cleaning up the buildings. And then uh, the big jump here will be, and that's probably a couple of years away. Uh, we do want to, you know, we do want to enter into the kind of the high speed lift world uh, and exactly where that lift goes and services is still up for debate. But, uh, you know, that, you know, not crazy with that where the, you know, four or five of those, but one out of the base here that gets people up on the mountain faster would be a huge improvement and will be a huge improvement. Uh, but the actual terrain and how it's laid out, uh, we're doing a ton of summer grooming, cleaning up uh, uh, slopes, making it uh, so you're not as, uh, you know, you, you can open on lower snow, ski later. We've already started that a year ago. So the vision is to continue to just improve those trails, make them, uh, there's a lot of work that can be done to improve that uh, that uh, the existing trail structure, make it uh, more user friendly, uh, and then lifts pluck away at uh, like we started already, pluck away at upgrading and or potentially adding a, a high speed lift to to the area, and then back to summer again. Uh, you know, a huge summer uh, program that we just kicked off two weeks ago with a lot of summer activities. There's roughly fifteen thousand people within a five eight mile radius on any given weekend here in campgrounds and other cabins that are looking for something to do in the summer. There's actually more people here in the summer than there is the winter. So uh, really, really growing that whole summer as summer. When I say summer, that can be summer, fall, spring, summer, fall aspect of the resort. So it's not just a hundred, 120 day uh, season. So let's lots of really interesting things in there, Carl. Let's, let's pick apart first that lift project that you're doing this summer. So you mentioned you're, you're removing lifts one and two, Mm-hmm. And that is being replaced by a triple chair from yep. Mount Rose that they are replacing with a, a high-speed quad chair, their old Lakeview Express. So uh, talk about that project and why you're replacing two lifts with one. And also th- this Yan lift is a, is a pretty old lift. It's 40 years old. So talk about what you're doing to refurbish that lift and give a better experience at Dodge Ridge. Yeah, well, anyway, we're taking the two lists we're taking out are, if, for those who are familiar, center post riblets are really tough for beginners to load because, uh, you know, if, if you don't get run over by it in one direction, you get hit in the head with the other direction where the center post comes through. And, um, and again, the way it loaded, both these loaded is we had to walk uphill. The chair two is a significant walk uphill. The chair one was you know, not, uh, not that insignificant. Uh, so you, you really, you really have, or you had to take a rope toe that would yank your arm out uh, to get to the, to get to them. So, uh, right. basically we're going to clean up the whole experience. Uh, <clears throat> and by having this lift will be right in the base area. It's a sister lift to our chair three. Uh, and so again, lifts are somewhat like airplanes, uh, and or boats. If they're properly maintained and updated and upkept, uh, as we see around the industry, there's, a lot of life left in them. Uh, this lift will have a whole new drive system, all you know, brand new tensioning system, brand new, you know, cable. Uh, the, the only thing that, you know, I shouldn't say only, but the, the major parts, the steel will obviously be the same. It'll be, but it's going to be re, you know, re, you know, not manufactured, but repositioned. So uh, everything's be re-welded and, and re, re, uh, repositioned, so to say. So it's not a sense that we're just taking it out and just putting it back as it was. Basically, we're using the steel, refabricating it to fit our mountain, put, you know, putting it back in the ground, and uh, then all the, lack of a better word, the brains or the guts of it will be either updated or new. So uh, it will, yes, have, I guess, officially uh, a lot of the parts will be from 1981, uh, but uh, reality is 
uh, most of this will be will be you know, updated and and be new. So it will be all intents and purposes a new lift, especially to us, which will have better uh, better service, uh, you know, much better experience loading, much better location, and will you know really serve our lower beginner, mi- middle beginner uh, terrain a, a lot better. And I might mention I might mention because uh, for those who are interested, we anticipate this project will cost us somewhere around seven uh, to high side eight hundred thousand. Uh, they had a quote on this a year and a half ago, and that would probably go up from there of a little over two point five million for basically accomplishing the same goal. So uh, there's times and places where yes, you need a new lift, you need new technology, or uh, you just can't find a, a, a you know a used lift at Fiston. But when you where an area like this area, and uh, when you can find that, uh, that's a big difference. Uh, you know, roughly a, just under a two million dollar swing is a, is a big difference for uh, you know an area like this. That quote. Carl was for a brand new lift, right? That two point yes. five million, and and where for those familiar with Dodge Ridge, you said you mentioned there's a walk up now to load these two old double chairs. Where will the new loading station be? It'll be right in front. Of, it'll actually sit where the old rope tow was, uh, which is right in front of the Creekside uh, Lodge deck. So you'll literally you can ski down to it, you know, walk over to it. Uh, there's no going uphill to get to it, so it'll. It'll allow you to load right you know, there, and and the look when you pull in uh, to the parking lot. That's the first thing you saw when you pulled in to the ski area were these two lifts, literally, because they were the, right on the side of the hill. So uh, it'll look exactly. They'll be repainted. Both the the chair three and the new chair one lift will be repainted to look the same, and uh, it'll be a much cleaner look when you come in. And again, a much much smoother experience to load and unload, and uh, you know, just uh, uh, really excited about what it's going to mean to to at least that, that, that population that, you know, is, is trying to, uh, you know, learn slash uh, advance here at Dodge. All right. Let's talk about that high speed lift that you mentioned and, and you've considered a few different lines. Are, are, are you considering one that would go base to summit? So, so from down where your current one, two, three, six chairs are up to the top of where chair seven goes. Yeah, we've got back and forth, uh, on on this uh you know where we'd go right now what we've looked at you know the, on the original master development plan they have one going from right in front of the family lodge to the top of chair seven that's about an eight nine thousand foot lift and there's a lot of call it not really interesting skiing at the end of that or riding on the lift for you know for even even a high speed that doesn't make a lot of sense so we're not sure that and, and again we're somewhat you know in busy times we're congested right in the base area so we have two schools of thought. One is to put it uh, below the existing chair five parking lot, chair five lift. Uh, so you could park up there, get on that lift, go to the top and be able to ski uh, the trails. Uh, right now, if some of the trails off of the chair seven, you have to ride two lifts to get back to the top. If you come down the stamp mill, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, the, just everything, if you're looking uphill, everything to the left or right, you have to run uh, you have to ride two lifts to get back up. This will allow you to only ride one lift up. It would also allow a lot quicker ride and would really make for a, a, you know, a much, much easier experience. And uh, again, you could, you could park up above or uh, ride one of the other lifts to get to this. So that would be one spot. The other spot would be to uh, replace the chair or basically in, next to the chair three lift to get people up quicker out, out of the face. In the perfect world, uh, you do both those projects uh, and maybe we'll be in a perfect world where you'd have a, uh, a lift that we, you know, 
worked in concert with or replaced the chair three so you could get up to the up out of the base area really quick and have this other lift i just mentioned that was over by uh the bottom of chair five or just below the bottom of chair five going to the top of top of the mountain essentially that would really help it and improve the the flow but one at a time and i guess the first one we're, we're still debating which is i probably lean a little towards the one uh by chair five or below chair five uh in in some some fashion uh over the chair three one because uh again i think it would have a bigger quicker impact but both would be nice projects and i think are definitely in the sites over the next uh you know call it few to number of years are you thinking quads six packs what do you got quads. those would be quads you know again we'd be looking at quads here so uh you know we don't right now the capacity issues are, aren't aren't there for the uh but you know Again, anything can change, but right now we'd be looking at quads. And, and again, just, uh, you know, from a cost standpoint, those are, you know, the one that the first one I mentioned is, is still a fairly long lift. That's probably low side eight could be as high as a $10 million lift. So then it's, it's, it's in, in the, you know, in the used market, there's not a lot and they're really pretty tricky to move uh, and replace and reinstall uh, high speed lifts. Uh, just, uh, you know, every now and then there's a good one out there. And we may see more of those as the big companies uh, look to increase capacities. We're going with six and eight, eight packs. Uh, we, you know, also, it makes sense to replace a, a fairly, you know, good you know, condition. That still has some of the more modern technology quad. Uh, we may see more of that over the next five years. Uh, and if that's the case, we could evaluate that. But most times when somebody's replacing a high-speed lift, it's because it's totally, totally worn out. And, uh, there's a lot more moving parts, as you know, on a, a high-speed lift than there is in a fixed grip lift. So if, if, you, if you were to install that high-speed to the summit from the base of the current chair five, it kind of leaves you with an interesting tangle of lifts. You have a double going up chair six, and then that leads off and you could jump on chair four, another double to the summit. Then chair five is a, a, a base to peak summit, but it's, it doesn't go to the peak. It just goes to the top of the ridge. Right. Yeah. So is there an opportunity to kind of clean that up? Maybe a, a two stage high speed quad that would replace all of those or like what's, what's your kind of thinking around chairs four, five and six long term? Well, basically uh, six is a beginner lift. So you can't replace that uh, or you couldn't, you couldn't replace that with anything like that. But if we did the lift that we just mentioned, uh, I mentioned earlier, that would potentially replace or add to what the chair three lift accomplishes. You could, technically uh you know probably reposition it to where it came out close to the top of four at which time you could get rid of uh chair four uh chair three would probably be left for redundancy uh and then five would be again same thing uh you know more of a redundancy lift it's not hurting anything sitting there it's not in the way of anything so um and uh it's supposedly that's the i don't know if this is a good thing or bad thing but it's supposedly the oldest uh, continuously operating riblet lift uh, this side of the Mississippi. So uh, wow. it's, got, it's got some history there. It's, it was put in, in uh, uh, I believe, in 64. So it's, uh, it's 60, excuse me, 61, 61. So it's uh, it's Stevens. We had one in 64. So, yeah, it's one of the oldest uh, continually operating lifts in the country. So, uh, so anyway, but point being is that would clean up some of that there. But uh, uh, mostly it would be they, anything that was left would be for redundancy and Again, in the perfect world, we would uh, we would add those two high speed lifts over the next, you know, I don't know, three to five, seven years. Yeah. How about lift eight? That's a that's a fairly new lift. It's twenty five years old. Uh, it, it it goes from the base of granite 
pole up to the peak of the mountain. I'd imagine that you hear a little grumbling about the, uh, you know, typically folks like the high speed lifts on that high of a vertical rise, but uh, you know, it's, a, it, it's, I'm assuming a good lift in good shape. Any long-term thoughts on lift eight? No, yeah, not really. Uh, it's funny. And uh, it's, it's personal experience of the lifts. I, 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 I get the most impatient on is lift three, uh, uh, <laughs> then, then lift seven. Uh, lift eight is kind of, you've had a nice run and it's a, it's a comfortable lift and it's some great views back there and you get in there and sitting, you're talking or whatever else. And it doesn't feel that long. Uh, you know, it's, it's just under what lift seven is. Uh, so, I mean, again, perfect world, you have nothing but high speed lifts, but that's not high on the list because it really, it really services that terrain very well. And <clears throat> we don't hear, and quite honestly, one of the things I thought I was going to hear a lot coming in here was, you know, we did a lot of, you know, uh, call it meet and greets and different types of uh, ceremonies, you know, passing the torch from uh, Frank and Sally to our, ourselves. And I thought, you know, I, if you ask me, what's the number one question you're going to get uh, coming in? Uh, I thought it was going to be about high speed lifts. I think I might have heard it a couple of times all winter. Uh, people really, oh, wow. uh, it's, it's really kind of crazy. I would have thought it would have been a lot more. And people are, you know, they, they again, they, they, they're used to it. They like it. They, they know where they can, when they go to other resorts, they can ride those they want to. And I would have thought it'd been a lot bigger, uh, uh, call it, you know, d- desire, demand, question, and really wasn't uh, that big. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I think lift eight for at least the time being will stay in place, but definitely a replacement or an addition of something to the summit uh, where chair seven is and or uh, a combination of that with, uh, you know, something right directly out of the base here to somewhere up between lifts three and four are, are definitely in the cards. So it sounds like you're very focused on the current footprint. You have a pretty big ski area there, 800 and some acres I mentioned in the intro. Thinking long-term, what is your permit area and is there any opportunity for expansion at Dodge Ridge? There is. I mean, uh, on the going uphill or a looker's right, a looker's left on uh, chair eight, all that, a lot of that terrain to the left is all in the permit. Uh, wow. uh, so there's definitely room for expansion. Uh, again, uh, you know, I think right now we're more focused on cleaning up what we have, uh, making it run more efficiently, and and again, adding adding a lot more activities in summer. We'll also introduce snow play here. We don't anticipate being nearly as as big, but as it is at Mountain High, but we see it being a very nice add on. And what we saw with the what little bit we had this year was it you know because of the generational type families I was speaking about, you see a lot of grandmoms or and or you know you know grandpas or moms uh, who are with the family come up for the holidays come up for the weekend and you know for whatever reason have either given up skiing or not skiing that weekend or watching a child and they love having something else to go do uh so so having a uh you know a, a, that activity is something we're, we're, we, we dabbled in last year we'll be jumping in more and deeper this 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 coming winter so those are really where our initial focuses are is just cleaning up the Cleaning up the base area, cleaning up the lifts, uh, uh, you know, adding, adding, uh, you know, adding, uh, you know, some, like better words, some freshness to to the to the area, and then tackling, you know, the, the potentially the lifts like we talked about. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, totally appreciate how much work you have ahead of you. Just a little more information though on that uh, possible permit area or that permit area going. Uh, lookers left there off a of cherry what what how much terrain is there what's the vertical drop what what kind of terrain is it over there very similar vertical drop to a there so you're in the you know you're in the 11 1200 vertical drop off that that train it'd be 
it would be very similar to it probably more of a glade experience uh you know maybe uh, a trail that would you know skirt the boundary then a lot of you know, a lot of glade and uh so it, it, it would be more of that type of terrain more it'd be definitely advanced terrain uh you know more advanced terrain so that that's really where that would be and you know and again there is a t-bar that gets you to the that uh, the peak that would access more of that right now a lot of people ski it anyway uh now would just be adding some more uh you know trail and or uh you know thinning thinning of that area oh there is a t-bar up there i didn't even yeah. notice that on the trail yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that gets you to the last, that gets you to the last the, you know, peak there so, so you kind of ski down into there and that gets you to the last peak and would allow you to get out into some of that terrain oh that's really cool so the uh all that stuff that's to the right of the Scario boundary, you're saying folks do ski in there and they can still yes. get back down to the base of Cherry. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, really it, cool. Yeah. And again, we, we could be more defined and, and, and cleaned up uh, again. And that, you know, just doing some of that uh, isn't that, you know, far out and that, that could, but as far as, you know, what I, you know, significant train expansion, uh, you know, going into another area, another part, uh, I, again, in the, in the short term, I, I, I don't see. Well, if you did want to go into the glade skiing direction, Carl, you got plenty of snow to do it. A heck of a lot more than you're used to at Mountain High, up to 600 inches in a season, average between 300 and 500 inches. How, I guess, a few questions here. How nice is that after having to deal with droughts and, and snowmaking and water limitations all these years? And, and how does that amount of snowfall influence the way you approach how you operate Dodge Ridge as compared to Mountain High? Well, again, I, I was one thing that's really nice. <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, you know, during the drought years, uh, Dodge had, you know, it suffered too because, uh, um, you know, so that's that's always out there. And that, hence, another reason we're building these other businesses within the business, i.e. the snow play here, uh, the, the the summer, fall, spring activities uh, that can run into the winter if it doesn't snow. But I can tell you, uh, at Mountain High, roughly 50% of our activities we do in the summer uh, have to do with something with snowmaking, supporting snowmaking. Uh, so it becomes, you know, a huge endeavor. Uh, and, you know, and it's, you know, it's very costly, uh, you know, not having, you know, that huge snowmaking plant, uh, you know, albeit has, you know, it does create some limitations and create a way you have to manage uh, differently. Also, you know, and you know, can create some financial uh, freedom too. So not every 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 dollar, everything you're doing is is focused on snowmaking. You can focus on some other things, and uh, you know I love snowmaking. That's what I started in this business uh, way back in, in Madison. We talked about that over an hour ago. Uh, that was so I, I you know in my heart I love snowmaking, but uh, it really does change you know your thinking and and how you do operate. And you know, like Stevens Pass, that had very limited snowmaking. It's nice when uh, you know somebody provides all the snow to you for free when you're used to having to pay so much for it. But, uh, but yeah, but again, it comes with its drawbacks and, you know, you have to, you know, you have to manage around those, uh, you know, and understand that if it doesn't snow, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of a sitting duck, so to say. You do have some snowmaking there at Dodge Ridge? You know, you know, again, we just added some a little bit last year. We're adding some stuff in the base area. Uh, it'll be very supplemental. It won't be enough to open significant terrain, but it could open you know, a teaching area and a snow play area and a little learn too and supplement, you know, a little bit in the base. But uh, at least initially, that's that's all we have. So you have the potential for snow play. How about night skiing? Do you have night skiing now? Would you like to add it? 
Uh, you know, we they've dabbled in it. it. They have some stuff in the master plan about having you know maybe something in just right where that new lift one and two is going to go, and you know maybe running it on Saturday nights uh, or into the evening and doing some contests or some events. I think anything beyond that would probably not be you know would, would not would not pencil out. Uh, but uh, you know, I wouldn't say we wouldn't look at uh, you know doing something like that in the base area slash the very beginner area, not very beginner, but the, that lift one, which is you know, three, 400 vertical, and you can have some, you know, we have, we do have terrain uh, features, terrain parks in that area. So, uh, you know, you, you could do that with snow play in the evenings for people who are staying here locally in the cabins and the camps and stuff. So, uh, that, you know, again, it'll never be the size it is a mountain high, but, you know, could it be a nice amenity for the holidays and, uh, you know, some key weekends, uh, have some fun things going on, uh, and would it be all that crazy expense wise? No. So, uh, that's, that's, it's, uh, you know, is it top of the list? No, but is it out there? Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap up here today, Carl, with a discussion of passes and tickets. So your season pass is, is interesting for next season for 2022 to 23. Mountain high season pass holders get basically unlimited from the way I'm reading it. Sunday through Friday access, non-holiday access to Dodge Ridge. Dodge Ridge pass holders do not get the same access to mountain high. They do get three days by dint of being on the Powder Alliance. Would a joint pass ever make sense for the two well, mountains? Actually, that's, that's, I don't know. Unfortunately, that's incorrect because they do oh. get, it's, it's the same at both places. Oh, great. Uh, so it's the same, yeah. It's, it's uh, unlimited at both places. It's something we started uh, last, uh, you know, middle of last year. So there is, uh, back to your point of making sense, uh, I don't think it will be ever be huge, but uh, it's a nice offer. Uh, uh, again, you know, people typically don't drive, a, you know, south to go skiing. Um, mm-hmm. And mountain high skier and snowboarders, as I said earlier, uh, are a little more transient, aren't as, call it advanced, and don't take as many, we find that don't take as many um, trips. But it's a nice add-on, and because it's there, uh, and, you know, it doesn't really change anything or cost anything for us to offer. It's a, it's a nice add-on, a nice offer, and hopefully over time it'll grow. It's interesting that uh, Saturdays are excluded from the reciprocity. Is that right? Yes. yes. You know, as, as I survey and I, I do a lot of writing about tickets and passes, the the biggest puzzle, I think, in skiing is Saturday volume. And folks are just all over the industry having a hard time with it. And in many cases, it ends up being more crowded than these traditional holiday periods. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, if you look at the blackout dates for all the big passes, they're on those traditional holiday periods. Just talk about how hard it is to manage volume on Saturdays and how you've gone about thinking it so that the folks who do show up don't have a terrible time and spend hours and hours waiting in lines. Well, again, I think, you know, the biggest thing, and it's a little different. To, it's, it's interesting. It's a little different at Mountain High. Uh, Mountain High is much more spread out over a seven-day period. Uh, where a lot of skiers go almost dark, uh, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, Thursday, non-holiday. Uh, we're more, you know, if you're looking at a bell curve, you know, it goes up and down, up and down, of course, but uh, where, you know, you have the huge spikes at most areas on a Saturday and then it dips down to next to nothing on a Tuesday. Mountain High isn't, you know, because of our location, because of the trans, transitioning of things, uh, we're a, a lot, a lot, a lot flatter line, so to say. Uh, so, and, and, Technically, or typically, I would say a third of our Sundays are actually busier than Saturdays. So it's not as traditional as you find in some locations. But that being said is, obviously, what we've continued since 
since uh, you know the COVID season is you know through reservations, buying in advance, and everything. We have a lot better control of who's coming, when they're coming, how many are coming, and that's something that I think was one of the best lessons that we were all forced to learn or, or to during COVID, and that's really taken away a lot of the guesswork out of it. So we know, you know, exactly how many tickets we are going to have out there. We we could always we have a real close guesstimate on the passholder usage. So I think we've really been able to clean that up over the last two years. So we don't have those, you know, all, you know, those huge surprises on a, on a Saturday. And at mountain high, we had about 12,000, almost, almost 13,000 passes at Dodge Ridge. We had about 8,000. So again, we don't have those eight, uh, you know, literally like in our Southern California market, there's over 120,000 of the icon passes. We don't have that type of, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about that many people showing up to two or three areas uh, that are, you know, near us uh, that really create that overcrowding. So uh, we know how many tickets uh, we can sell given what our past usage is going to be historically. So it's really at both places. Obviously, you have your days where it's, it's fairly busy. Uh, there might have been two days here at Dodge. I, I thought we were more than we should have. And, you know, maybe maybe the same two, three at, at, at Mountain High, but not not anything significant where we've really gotten good at managing through reservation and buying in advance uh, what uh, what our volumes are going to be. So, uh, And that's really, I think, a, a, a key to all of our success going forward. You can't keep having these stories of, you know, hour-long lift lines and, you know, people having to, you know, three hours to get out of the parking lot type thing. You just can't, you know, that's not going to be, that's not going to do anybody any good or any of us any good. So it's really intuitive that we we figure out how to manage those and not just, have all these passes out there that can show up at any given time. So that's my my take. But uh, uh, I think we're we're well. We've learned a lot in the last couple of years on that, and we're only going to get better at that. Gosh, one hundred twenty thousand icon passes. Is that just in California, or is that total? That's in Southern California market. Oh wow. Okay. So you you are part of one big pass coalition, which is the Powder Alliance, and Mountain High was a founding member of that coalition. So tell me why you and your peer resorts formed the Powder Alliance. Well, basically, it was in the early days of, of, uh, of they call it more mega uh, passes starting to be developed. And we were looking for something that, you know, we could offer our pass holders uh, uh, that uh, would be, you know, it's not the same, but at least to give them some sense of value and, you know, additional value. And we came up with this and we created uh, what we call the Power Alliance. And it's morphed and changed a little over the years, but it's, it's, you know, it's more of an independent you know, approach. Uh, you know, basically, if you look at all the areas, most of them are, are fairly independent. We've had other areas in the past that have been bought up by one of the you know, bigger groups and then had to drop out. Uh, so we've added and subtracted over the years. But we've added, we've added between 15 and 20 resorts. And, you know, I think for the most part, I know we introduced it to Dodge when we purchased last year and, and, and people were excited. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not the same as an Epic Pass or an Icon Pass where you can go and, use it, you know, pretty much anytime, anywhere. But again, it's also, you know, I think the areas you see there, you're not going to have some of the other issues that uh, I think we all know are out there as far as crowds and overcrowding and all the above. It's a, uh, so it's a nice addition and it fits these more independent, smaller areas well without getting into, you know, exchanging money or exchanging other things. So, uh, you know, it's, it's worked, it's worked well, it's worked well for us. So for listeners who aren't familiar, if you buy a season pass for any of these ski areas that are on the Powder Alliance, it includes the Powder Alliance benefits, which is three days each at the partner resorts. And for your two ski areas, I don't believe there's any add-on for that. Um, 
for for next year, the Powder Alliance is growing a little bit. You have Snow King Wyoming joining and Blacktail Montana. The website teases another new one. Do you know what that scary is going to be? I, I saw your comments on that. I don't. I'll have to ask John. John McCauley, who's our Mountain High uh, uh, Director of Marketing, over, uh, manages the program. I'll have to ask him on that one. So I don't know yeah. that one. But, uh, well, we're excited. We're excited to have a, you know, it's it's a it's a nice, you know, it's a nice lad on, and uh, you know, it's they're all fairly attainable if you're, you know, depending where you live, and they're not, you know, a million miles away or anything like that. So, uh, it's it's a it's been a good it's been a great program. So it's a cool little perk, nice handshake deal between resorts. Does yeah. not, as you mentioned, generate any money. The Indy Pass does. Uh, the resorts that join the Indy Pass get a per visit payout from Indy for that. Have you considered joining the Indy Pass for either of your resorts? You know, we've had discussion, a high-level discussion. Uh, you know, I mentioned John before. I know John has. Uh, uh, you know, and, and there isn't any real standout reason we haven't. Uh, I guess we just haven't felt the need to do it or or saw the real, you know, we're somewhat isolated from that. Uh, uh, but, it, again, uh, I, I, I would not say we wouldn't uh, enter it. Uh, we've just been more focused on, you know, controlling what we, we control and, and doing what we do and, uh, you know, growing those programs. So uh, we really haven't, uh, uh, you know, spent a ton of time on it. I, I know that there's been a couple areas recently that have added it in Southern California or not in Southern, in this part of California. So it'd be interesting to hear their feedback going forward. And, you know, again, uh, it just hasn't been something that, you know, we really, really, really saw any, any large advantage at the time. And but that time changes and we, we could definitely could evaluate that again if uh, the opportunity presents itself. All right. Well, uh, Carl, I will be watching and waiting. I um, I really hope to get out there and check out both ski areas at some point. And I'll be out in California this year, so hopefully I can swing through. But would love to get out there, make some turns with you, You know, get a little tour of, of your properties and, uh, and see what you have in mind for the future. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's very exciting. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk about both properties. They're both uh, very unique, very different properties. Uh, they're not cookie cutter at all. And uh, it's fun. Uh, it's fun, uh, you know, to to have two so different uh, properties because it really, really allows you to, uh, you know, use a lot of your uh, you know, bandwidth, so to say. You don't. You're not just doing one thing one way or the same way. It's a. Uh, uh, they're two totally different ones, and it's it's a it's a pleasure, and it's, it's I I love talking about them. So thank you for the opportunity to to be able to do that. That's Carl Kapuscinski, president and CEO of Mountain High and Dodge Ridge, California. Awesome job, Carl. Love seeing Dodge Ridge go from one good family to the next, and I cannot wait to see how you evolve the place over the next couple of decades. Thank you so much for that, Carl. And thank you all for listening. Next week is, no kidding, probably the biggest week in the history of the pod with three of the top executives in skiing joining me for conversations. Those three would be Vail Resorts West Chief Operating Officer Bill Rock, Snow Partners CEO Joe Hessian, and this was a last minute ad, Altera Mountain Company CEO Rusty Gregory. But I have so many more. I am booked all the way through the end of 2022 with 20 more podcasts on the books, including conversations with the heads of Gore Mountain, Sun Valley, Vail Mountain, and many, many more. 
you can sign up for the free or paid versions of the email newsletter at stormskiing.com. Also, please follow the storm on Twitter and Instagram at Stormski Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.